Welcome to Sci-Fi Tech Talk, the podcast where we explore the technology of sci-fi. I'm Mike McPeak, and with me today is Julie Keel. Hello, everyone. And Jeff Sire. Hello, everybody. And today we're going to do the adventures of Buckaroo Banzai. As always, <laughs> finally, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, so we'll start the way we usually do with the synopsis here. Brilliant brain surgeon, rock star, and comic book hero Buckaroo Banzai just made scientific history. Shifting his oscillation overthruster into warp speed, he's the first man ever to travel to the eighth dimension and come back sane. But when his sworn enemy, the demented Dr. Lazardo, unleashes an evil army of interdimensional aliens, Buckaroo goes cranium with the madman in a battle that could result in an annihilation of the universe. Okay, was it just me? Or could nobody else kind of make out this movie? What was the plot? I have no idea. It was, it was, uh, okay, when I said finally, I mean, first off, we've had scheduling issues. Welcome to summer. You know, we, <laughs> this happens every year. But also, Buckaroo Banzai has been on our list of things to do, like, since the day we started podcasting, I swear. Yeah. Um, and it just finally showed up on streaming services. Um, so, yeah, um, I have no idea what this movie was about, but it was really fun. <laughs> Uh, it's a cult classic, apparently. It ranks, I forget, I don't have it here in front of me, but like 43rd on the top uh, 50 uh, top cult favorites, according to who I don't remember and, right off the And it's end. in the top 5,000, according to IMDb. So, whatever. <laughs> it's got the same feel, and actually, I come to think of it, maybe some of the uh, same storylines as the Rocky Horror Picture Show about aliens from space and kind of a... Uh, you know, a, a, a few demented people along the way, and that's another cult classic. But I just, I think it's one of those things. It's how do you want to put it? I don't. I won't say it's bad, but it's just interesting. Makes more sense if you're high. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Maybe yeah. that's my problem. Maybe I need a bottle of Jack. See it with my good friend Jack Daniels. Maybe that'll make more sense. Jeff, I think you said you saw it in the theater. I saw it, yes, when it came out. It was, I can say, uh, I was in high school. It was not my idea to see it. And I remember uh, leaving the theater going, what was that about? Uh, and I've never seen it again until this week. Uh, and, uh, and you're yeah, still it, going, what yeah, was that was, about? <laughs> I can appreciate it more in that, I think it's kind of like what uh, Mike said in that, uh, some you know, one of the things that can contribute to a cult movie being a cult movie is kind of weird for the sake of being weird, mm -hmm. and in in that respect, it is kind of like, uh, or at least has similarities to Rocky Horror Picture Show and uh, Pink Floyd's The Wall, and you know, uh, movies that are just. I don't think that they have a like. They're weird, and you have the illusion that there's something behind it, but I don't think there is anything behind it. Right. Yeah. There, like I say, I have no idea what the plot was on this. <laughs> I mean, there. first off, and Buckaroo Banzai, okay, correct me if I'm wrong, he is an actual comic book thing, right? I don't, well, I think, think, I don't think he was before this. No. I think he was afterwards. Oh, okay. Yeah, because, you know, uh, reading the Wikipedia page about this movie, it sounds like um, the guy who, the original screenwriter for this play, started the script about 30 times. 
Um, and it kind of shows through the movie because I think at some point they were just when they actually started doing the screenplay, I think they had those unfinished scripts around and sort of kind of like crazy quilted things from one script into you know the final one here. Um, so it was just a kind of a rambling, you know thing it was it wasn't like this guy had a clear vision like a lot of these movies were a beginning and an end and you know he's got the story he wants to write and it's just kind of like hey let's write a movie i got these 30 scripts or whatever it was that i've started writing let's see if we can just kind of uh pick and choose from them and put it together yeah i mean just <laughs> the character itself i mean you've got a character who starts off being a neurosurgeon then rushes in to be a combination race car driver you know essentially test pilot and um, scientist, and then like comic book hero, and then rock star, and okay, I'm no. <laughs> well, and uh, I don't know, maybe a person should have watched the DVD release, because it says in there that there's a, uh, includes a caption portion entitled Pinky Carruthers Unknown Facts, which actually adds to the storyline and character development of the movie. This maybe would that would help. This would be a one of those... Um mystery science theater things or whatever <laughs> you know the little guys up front making comments this would have been awesome for that uh, yeah i think there would have been an endless supply of material there oh gosh yeah yeah and speaking of endless supply um they had some really big names i mean again this is another one of those shows where it's like why did these people agree to be in this <laughs> um i don't know jeff goldblum is the you know one that sticks out. Peter Weller, obviously, is Buckaroo Banzai. Um, there's a couple other familiar faces. John Lithgow. Um, some other familiar faces, too. And I'm like I, looking at this going, wow, really? You want this on your I can, I can see it being a fun movie to work on. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Easily. And, like, you know, when it gets down to it, actors are, you know, actors paid. are people. Part of their job is they're going to be doing stuff, you know, like for... Um, you know, for the craft, that sort of thing. But, but part of it is, you know, like, uh, you know, we all have points in our jobs where we're like, oh, you know, if I do this, then I get to work with that guy that I, that I like. And, you know, why not? And uh, like all these, you know, I, I bet it would, I bet it was a really fun movie to shoot. Oh, I'm from sure an actor's it was. point of view. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, at one point, uh, I, I read in here that when they were filming the part where Buckaroo Banzai is getting uh, 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 tortured by with electricity, he couldn't keep a straight face because that was the first time he heard John Lithgow doing that accent of his. Um, and so he was just breaking up all the time. And apparently that accent was based on – they had an Italian um, – Taylor working at MGM, who had a really thick, heavy accent. So John Lithgow had this guy read all his lines. He recorded it, and then he studied the guy's accent. And I think Peter Weller was referring to it as an Italian Martian accent. So, oh lord! Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think they like. That I think sums they had up fun. the movie right there. It's a movie full of Italian Martian accents. <laughs> oh my it, god! It, like I say, it wasn't bad. It was just uniquely odd. It was an awesome yeah. way to blow two hours. I mean, it was fun. There is no doubt about oh, it. Yeah. Was, that this well, was just, fun. just the fact that for like for no reason that I could see, now maybe you guys saw it, but the fact that the, the president is in that striker frame and they never really make any they never really address why he's in that. 
Like that was just like there was all kinds of weird stuff. Yeah, no, the, there was so much that just can't be explained. I mean, yeah. well, and like I say, this is one that benefits if you go and read the Wikipedia page. I don't know if it helps explain a lot more, but it maybe brings a little understanding. Like the president was supposed to have been kind of um, patterned after uh, Orson Welles, who you know they referenced in there about the. Uh, uh, War of the Worlds broadcast, where in, you know in this movie they were saying that the aliens actually did land in New Jersey, but then they made it all a hoax to cover up the fact that they had landed there. So um, that was a reference to Orson Welles, the president. They tried to make him sound like it, and a few other things like that. Um, and then they said something about Orson Welles. Yeah, he's that guy that did that wine commercial. Uh, <laughs> I had to go back and remember because this is. Oh, I remember time. that. Yeah, Ernest and Julio Gallo, or no, uh, wasn't it them? Was no, it wasn't Gallo. It was a different wine company. I, I can't remember what it is right off. But yeah, it was, uh, and it since changed its name to Mountain Winery or something like that. Um, but yeah, we will sell no wine before its time. And then he was fired from the ad campaign when he admitted on a talk show that he never actually drank their wine. Whoops. <laughs> um, Paul Mason. Paul yeah, Mason. there you go. Okay. Yep, yep. Uh, yeah, so it had all those kind of like in jokes and all this. Stuff. It was, uh, I think, somebody kind of referred to it as maybe like a Saturday Night Live skit, you know, that goes on for about an hour and a half or somewhere. That's about right. That's that's exactly what it feels like as a, a Saturday Night Live skit. I mean, it's funny. It's got great costumes, great characters, and it doesn't really, you know, the plot doesn't really hold together. But that's okay because it's funny. So well. One of the reviewers uh, said it was something like, they seem to have invented elaborate mythology for his hero, but he never bothers to explicate it. The film gives you the mildly annoying sensation of being left out of a not very good private joke. Uh, yeah, you just kind of feel like you're missing something. Maybe if you knew the details, it would actually you know, be funny. Yeah, like why is the band wearing all these crazy outfits? Right. You know, like it, they never explain that. The thing with the president... You know, looking like his back's broken, and yeah, it is. <laughs> like, it's all. Yeah, it does feel like there's a whole lot more going on here than than you've been told. Yeah, and, and Buckaroo's deceased wife, who has a twin and shows up. So, I mean, there's a whole story there too that we're missing out on. Well, and then also the story of apparently, and it was a deleted scene at the very beginning, where Jamie Lee Curtis was going to play his mother, and I can't remember who the guy was who was going to play his father, and that was going to show where they were killed, and you know, at the end of the movie, you see about and you know, and wait next for the um, the sequel to the movie um, League of uh, what was that? Oh, good, I'm not the only one blanking. Yeah, but basically. <sighs> World so, uh, uh, against the world, uh, the, the world crime league or there something. You go. Yes, and so this um, uh, Hanoi Zen, I think, is is the the leader of this crime syndicate. Apparently, kills his um, Buckaroo's uh, mother and father and uh, his wife at different times here. Um, and so, you know, that was supposed to be the sequel, but apparently, this one bombed at the box office. So, well, either, yeah, I think it bombed, but it became a cult classic, but I think the production company also went bankrupt after doing it. Hmm. Um, yeah, so it, that one never got made. But, like I said, it's, it's one of those things that if you kind of get the crib notes for it and kind of read it, then, and I almost want to, you know, maybe go back and watch it a second time just to. So, is this something you think might be ripe for a remake? 
Boy, you mean a remake oh. or a sequel? A I don't think you. I don't think you can. No, it's 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 like remaking Rocky Horror Picture Show or or any other cult movie. Like you you can't remake those. Yeah, but the only reason I say that is because it seems like there's so much that could in this particular one right. that could have been done differently that maybe would have improved it. But that's just because I'm not one of the cult members. <laughs> but yeah, but then you're taking away what it made it as a cult movie in the first place. Yeah, right? and part of what cult movies so. are is inside information. So after you read all the notes and you watch yeah. it 16 times yeah. with the subtitles and you know read the the backstory, then it becomes you know a completely different experience than me yeah. going. This is something that's been on our list for two years. Finally became available. It's Okay, it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it's one of those things you said it when you said uh, the inside information because once you get the backstory and you understand it, you get the joke. You're part of the club, and then everyone else is looking at you, going, "What the heck are you laughing at?" And you get the joke, and you know they don't. So then you feel like you are one up on them or something. Maybe that's the appeal of this movie. Yeah. Well, from a sci-fi standpoint, other than there being aliens and some sort of warp drive oscillation overthruster thing, you know, like Mr. Fusion and whatever, um, there's not a lot of tech. I mean, they had tasers, if you want to call them that. Um, well, just the fact that they, uh, the what was the device that they used? Somebody wrote it in the show notes that that is... Oscillation of the Yes, so they could uh, he could go in between the atoms or whatever phase through the mountain. Right. That that was the only single thing that I remembered of the of seeing it the right. first time, and I have a really good memory of of most movies that I see, but I just didn't remember this at all. Yeah. Yeah, th- that was their MacGuffin for this movie. That was sort of their their sci fi thing. They just that it was just enough science you know that you know uh what because what uh adam is 90 percent space or something like that so they you know that actually showed up i remember a fringe episode that dealt with that they they were basically breaking into bank vaults by you know essentially melting (laughs) solid steel by you know clearing out the space so um that that concept that idea of you know actual matter is much more no matter than actual matter has cropped up time and again. Well, there's just enough science in there to make it plausible, and you know they don't expand upon it too much, which probably better for this movie. But right, but that's the uh, that's the science of uh, that we only use ten percent of our brains. It's along those right. lines of <laughs> yeah. like, okay, yes, that's true that the atom is, you know, you know, ninety nine point nine nine percent empty space. But it's also the gravitational and electrical forces that prevent other atoms from moving through that space. Right. Yeah, it's kind of like soundbite science. Yeah. You, know, you pick up one little thing and take that and run, which is obviously not the whole picture. Yeah. Or or movie science, which is you just need just enough to hang a plot on it, but you don't need the whole framework. So. Right. Yep. Yeah. It's. Uh, um, yeah. Other than. I mean the oscillation overthruster. Eh, well, I can't think of well, any other science that was in here. You know. No, and excuse me, oscillation overthruster. That's just begging for some sort of dirty joke. To oh be well, yeah. <laughs> you know, some sort that's, of that's what she said joke or that's something. That's probably the uh, inside cult joke. I'm sure. 
I will say one thing. The alien ships that they did, um, you know, we often have the flying saucer thing or something that looks like the Starship Enterprise or Klingon Bird of uh, Praise or something like that. This one had, you know, like squid-looking thing or yeah. conch-shell-looking thing. I mean, they were just... They didn't follow any sort of aerodynamic Earth... No, they didn't. Have, they, of, I don't know. They were they were uniquely looking. We'll put it that there. is actually probably more realistic. That is probably one of the most realistic things in the film, in that um, most of the time, like like Star Trek, Star Wars, um, most science fiction, because we're so used to being on Earth, they make the spaceships somewhat aerodynamic, and. There really is, like, you look at the International Space Station. There's nothing aerodynamic about that. And probably, like, when we start assembling, uh, you know, vessels that will go from Earth to Mars, they're not going to look like the Starship Enterprise. They're not going to look like the Millennium Falcon. They'll probably look like an apartment building or something. The Borg Cube. You know, or, or Borg Cube or just a big circle or something. Yeah. Yeah. Or something kind of like what we saw in this movie. So Yeah, cuz you know, you if you want to maximize surface area, this had a pretty good shape yeah. for that. Yeah, like a a circle is, you know, a, a very reasonable shape to make a uh, interplanetary spaceship out of. Like a death star. Or, sorry, not out of, but a, a shape to make it in. Yeah. Or the death star. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It doesn't have to be aerodynamic, but I don't know if this was maybe necessarily the most efficient use of space because it sort of had like tendrils or something going out there. Maybe it was the organic thing that they were going for. Or or, or apartment windows. (laughs) Okay. That was living quarters and everybody wanted a window, right? So, yeah. (laughs) Oh, it was a spaceship by committee. That explains a lot. (laughs) (laughs) It kind of looked like an apartment building complex. Yeah. yeah, I think yeah. The the aliens were, you know, forehead of the week. Although we had two different kinds. We had like Bob Marley aliens and and then um I don't know what the other ones were. I didn't well, fully understand that. Did did they pick their human forms, their no, disguises I was or did, was that, that Wikipedia? There are actually two different ones. There were black electroids and uh, red electroids. The black electroids appear to be Rastafarian Jamaicans, while red electroids appear to, appear to be Caucasians. Um, okay, because like there was some war going on in the eighth dimension, or I mean, again, there's this whole backstory that you know, reading through Wikipedia is like, really, that that was trying to be communicated through this yeah. movie. Okay, um, sure. Well, you know, when when they said Rastafari, Rastaf- whatever those guys, um, yeah, you know, they're kind of noted for, I think one of the things is they kind of like to, you know, smoke weed. And, you know, that might explain a lot about this movie. So. Yeah, there you go. Yama. Yeah, 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 it might help this movie some. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, I don't know. I, I know we got a lot of listeners I know that are going to be just thrilled that we finally covered this movie. And we're sitting here going, okay, <laughs> man. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, so if if you're one of those people who, 
have fond memories of this movie or think it's the greatest thing ever, cheapers, drop us an audio file or send us an email or something. Put it on the comments on the website um, and tell us why you have such fond memories of this show because coming in from the outside, you know, and um, looking at it just as one more sci-fi show on the long list of sci-fi shows, you know... Like, again, it was fun. No doubt about that. I don't know why it's a big deal or why people would have fun memories of it and say, oh, my God, you got to watch that, you know. Well, I don't know. You know, I haven't heard the same kind of thing about this. Like, you know, we brought up the Rocky Horror Picture Show because for that, they would have midnight screenings. And it was more the social aspect of that movie. It, it was the kind of the glue that held these mm, crazy people together because they, it was their one shared experience where they could come together, they would recite lines from the movie, they would do the song and dance numbers, all this kind of stuff. They would cosplay the whole movie. And it was more about the, uh, more than the movie, it was more about the social experience, you know, involved in it. And I'm not aware that, you know, there was that kind of following for this movie, but I still have to think that it's one of those movies where, you know, you get together and people start reciting lines of one or another or they would do something. I could see for you know a bunch of people getting together and having fun with this movie, oh, yeah. I could see that happening. Yeah. Matter of fact, <laughs> or a drinking yeah. game or something. Yeah. This could be one of those ones where you know if the three of us watched it together with beer, oh, yeah. Yeah, this could be a be... riot. You know. Especially if we started playing some drinking game was half-wasted yeah. about a third of the way through. Every time you see an alien, drink. You know. Oh, I like this. <laughs> <laughs> Nerdtacular is coming up. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's, uh, I guess, and as far as, like, the filmmaking itself, um, it is an eight, mid-80s film. What, 84? 84, yeah. yeah. Um, okay. I mean, there wasn't, it wasn't horrifically campy, crappy filmmaking. It wasn't high-tech CGI either. Um, but, you know, you weren't like, um, what was the other one we just watched? Uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers was pretty, yeah, as far as filmmaking quality, it was, it felt like it was 20 years older than it actually was. This one doesn't. This one feels, um, you know, right square in the 80s. There's not a lot of high-tech CGI stuff going on, but it was, you know, done in a quality way um, for the time. And the actors all did wonderfully with their roles. I mean, such as they were. Um, like you said, John Lithgow, I think, especially got to have fun with his. I think um, even Jeff Goldblum got to have a little bit of fun with his. Um, yeah, the other ones were kind of standard fare for those, for their, that for the, the characters matched the actors, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Oh, and they did have a lot of fun with the names. Um, you got what John Yaya and John Smallberries and John Big Boutet. Um So, you know, there's part of the inside joke, probably. Um, and now I just almost want to, because I'm reading through things here, and I almost almost tempted to go out and get the DVD because apparently it contains some other stuff. And I guess it contains a short computer animated sequence um, for a test reel that they did for the TV series. Among other things, the clip depicts a space shuttle trying to land with a broken landing gear. Dr. Bonsai maneuvers his jet car under the shuttle and uses it to take the place of the broken gear. Oh, <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, and like I said, the, uh, uh, 1998 Fox tried to develop a Buckaroo Banzai TV series um, entitled Buckaroo Banzai Ancient Secrets and New Mysteries. That could actually be fun. I mean, I could see where this could be a, um, a fun series because you've got at least his four, you know, um, neurosurgeon, scientist, comic book, whatever, and um, rock star that you could play with every single week. So that could be, I mean, I could see that being a good time. I could see that going on the Cartoon Network following Archer or something like yeah, that. there you go. Just, you know, you don't have to, just make it risque enough. Um, I don't know, if you want to do it cleaner, if you want to, like say, go just a little, little risque, I don't know what would be the best way to do that one. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know either, because this one wasn't, all that risque. I mean, no, wasn't not really. Anything in no. it? No, I'm just kind of picturing Archer though, and I don't know if you'd want to try and recreate that same vibe, vibe, or give it its own. Right. That kind of tongue-in-cheek, snarky uh, attitude. Well, they weren't really snarky. They were, you know, self-assured and confident, and mm-hmm. uh, and just you know, I, I want to, well, not even a little off-center, but for their world, they were perfectly competent people. We're looking at them going, okay. You know, whatever works for you guys, I guess. Right. Yeah, and and the science, if you were to do this today, the technology um, that would be used or available to be used would be different as well. Although, this is truly science fiction. So there wasn't a lot of science that to um, get dated, basically. Right, yeah. they're kind of making it up anyway, so you can always make up. You know, if, you're, if it's made up, it's probably not going to change. Well, yeah, if it's not, if it's made up, it's not dated, so it's yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, yeah, right. I suppose you could make something up, and then all of a sudden we have a new scientific discovery that makes that completely ridiculous. I get that, but yeah, there wasn't there wasn't to like we've uh, covered a couple recently where things have been basically right now technology. This, and Buckaroo Banzai is not that. It's yeah. you know, it, they just made stuff up. Tasers are. I mean, I could argue that the electric shock thing that they did was a version of a taser, which is something that's basically happened between when this movie was made and today. I don't know if they had tasers going around. They back probably then. did, but they wouldn't have been in wide use. Oh, actually, I'm sure they did because I remember. Uh, in the late 80s, um, I remember somebody, that was when I first saw them, so it was maybe 89, so I'm sure in 84 they were around. They were around. Okay, yeah. so they were proto-taser things. Right. Yeah. Hmm, interesting. I mm, don't know. I'm trying to think of other technologies that were in there. The tour buses haven't changed much. Um, <laughs> Yeah, they're pretty much the same. Um, you don't see a lot of people wearing woolly chaps. Well, you didn't see a lot of people in this show wearing woolly chaps either. Just one. <laughs> uh, and I don't think that you know, uh, uh, surgeon slash physicist rocks uh, slash rock stars have changed too much since this movie was made. So, and actually. 
I I kind of know. Okay, Buckaroo's obviously a fictional character, but I actually do know a brain surgeon who's also a WordPress developer. So the idea that um, um, you know you could have these multiple things that you you know are really really good at um, isn't that far of a stretch, at least. Well, and the other one I wanted to throw out was uh, uh, Mayim Balik from Big Bang Theory, who. I'm trying to find what it is. Oh, uh, neuroscientist yeah. and actress. So oh, yeah, it, it right. is possible. Um, now, a lot, but I mean, it is, you know, it is possible. So you know, I guess I shouldn't mock that. People can have more than two disciplines. It's just something about slamming all those together just seems a little... Yeah, it seemed over the top. And, and t- honestly, to be at the top of four disciplines, like uh, shown in Buckaroo Banzai, is not really possible unless you've got one hell of a bunch of uh, support um, behind the scenes making that happen. Or a complete lack of a social life. Yeah, well, yeah. Duh. (laughs) Your social life is, you know, riding through mountains. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, we're kind of at a loss. I mean, you know... You know, fans, and you know, hopefully somebody will, you know, give us something here. Because I mean, it's, it was a fun little movie. Like I say, maybe you know, a, a social gathering. You know, maybe if we weren't watch, maybe if we were in the same room, we could mock the certain things. Or you know, I remember when the movie finished, and I was watching the credits go by. And my first thought was, "What the hell are we going to do with that for the podcast?" <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, well, that's great. Uh, what? <laughs> As I like to remind everyone, we've done the postman, so we can yes. work under extreme conditions here. We are up to this task, but it's just kind of like we're not quite getting it. And you know, like I think we would maybe, if, like I say, if the three of us was in the room and we could have you know bounced things off each other as we was watching the movie, mm-hmm. I think we may have had a different take on this movie. Watching it in isolation, and then we're all coming in here, and we're just not quite sure, you know, what to say about it or what to you know think of it. Um, I'm sure we're missing, you know, something in there. And I could see, you know, people aping different characters in this movie. Uh, you know, because you had several, you had quite a few um, interesting characters in here. Because you, know, you had the uh, the Hong Kong Cavaliers. Uh, that was an interesting group of people. You had Buckeye, uh, or you had Bonsai. You had a bunch of different, you know, aliens in there that you could have fun with. So I could just see, you know, cosplay, uh, cosplay galore going on in here. So I think it's one of those things for people who, you know, kind of, it, it's not to be viewed in isolation, I'm pretty sure. It's got to be the social aspect that really, well, that's why they call it a cult movie. I think a lot of the cult movies have that feeling that you ha- it's best shared with other people that you can sit there and you know say your favorite things about it. and I, and you can also get together and feel comfortable because if you were to try well first of all would how would you explain this to somebody on the street that didn't know anything about it wow. if you could do it in two <laughs> hours or less I mean, see that's I just it. it i think part of it is i had no idea what to expect with this i i knew nothing about it um so coming in from a you know science fiction Standpoint, and I've had this happen before. Um, I can't remember what other movie it was where I was just kind of, you know, oh yeah, let's sit down and watch some good science fiction, and it turned out to be, you know, comedy, and I was just kind of off. I mean, it wasn't that it was bad; it was just not what I expected. So therefore, I wound up somewhere between being frustrated and completely not in the right frame of mind to enjoy the comedy. And so, you know, once I 
got past that and went back and watched it again, um, it was hilarious. But yeah. coming at it with a certain mindset of, oh, we're, you know, we're going to have a really good sci-fi flick here because everybody's recommending it, and it turns out to be more comedy than sci-fi. I think that's part of, for me, what plays into the, okay, I don't really know what to do with this. Um, yeah, that was fun. Totally not what I expected, but then again, I didn't know what to expect. So I'm thinking a second time through could be just a riot. I think yeah. I'd describe it as a uh, sci-fi version of the movie Scream. Like it's it's like a uh, <clears throat> it's like a campy send-up of sci-fi movies. Yeah. You know, like it's not it's obviously not intended to be serious. It's not like a movie where they were trying to be serious and then they just failed miserably and it it became a funny movie. It was intentionally supposed to be like this, right? right? Yes. Yeah. Like Scream is like a kind of like poking fun at uh, horror movies, right? Right. Well, in this movie here, I think it was they kind of gave you the wink and the nod, and they said, "We're going to make some jokes." You try to find them in here, because uh, that's you know kind of the thing. And like I say, I you know maybe I should go back and rewatch it and just actually watch it because I was working on my computer while I was doing this. I wasn't paying you know a hundred percent attention, and you know I think, and I don't know if it would have helped or not, but I think I missed a few plot points along the way but somehow i really don't think plot interferes with this movie a whole lot um i mean there's something there's a thread that goes through here but i don't know if like plot is the be all end all in this movie no no i don't think so either i mean the whether the earth blew up or whether it didn't didn't wasn't going to really affect whether or not you enjoyed the movie you know it wasn't it wasn't like um a hero thing where somebody has to save the day by the end of the show. It was more like, yeah, just two hours of a good time, hour and a half of a good time. I can't remember how long it was, and um, and that's a, a achievement. You know, that's what they were going for. Mission accomplished. And I think there's a, probably a few uh, good lines in here. Like I, I like this one. You know, if we fail, we'll be forced to help you destroy yourselves. Right. And plus, and the, the, the world famous. You know, wherever you are, there. Wherever you, you, wherever you go, there you are, you know. Right. Um, I think it's just things like that. You know, and if a movie has quotable lines, and again, it leads to the in-joke thing, where if you can throw them out with other people who have seen the movie and everyone else is scratching their head going, what? I, you know, I think it's the, the in-joke thing. Right. I told a friend that uh, we were going to be watching it this week, and he, he right away he said, wait, wait, stop the music. Somebody's crying. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> funny yeah I got nothing though I mean that's all I know about this movie it was fun I'd recommend it but I wouldn't recommend it to everybody uh, yeah. no. Like, no. if you have somebody that can appreciate you know this kind of humor, yeah. Then it's it's good, but yeah, and it's and don't go into it with the idea that it's sci-fi. Go into it with the idea that it's a campy comedy type of thing based around aliens, you know, and that's about it. But it's you know again, as much as we're sitting here struggling to talk about it and, and having this kind of you know lukewarm feeling, it doesn't mean it's bad. It's just it's not Gravity or you know The Martian or something like that. No, and like I said, it's piqued my interest, and you know, um, 
like I said, it, it would be fun just to sit down with a group of people and watch this movie. I think, you know, I think that's where it lies. And like I said, us just isolated, we're not getting it. But I think, you know, if you were to Saturday night and have some friends over, you know, and I'm not, you know, advocating the use of alcohol necessarily, but I think I it might help this movie a little bit, you know. <laughs> uh, you know. Or something you watch like about three o'clock in the morning. Sleep deprivation would maybe be an aid also. Yeah, but, that's you know, true. Oh God, yes, this could be a riot <laughs> at three in the morning if you're exhausted. Oh my. Oh yeah. I, there's believe me, there's been more than a few times I had a friend over and we're playing like video games at like about two or three o'clock in the morning, and we're just doing something stupid. We're probably flying a flight simulator. We keep flying it into the you know the Statue of Liberty, but you know and now not post nine eleven that sounds horrible. But back you know twenty thirty years ago, this was a hilarious and you know. And, you know, like I say, in normal life, people look at you and go, what? But like I say, it's 3 o'clock in the morning. You're just getting a little giddy and a little stupid. And, you know, then you just kind of it, – it, it's doing something for the sake of doing something stupid and funny. Um, so, yeah, either sleep deprivation or alcohol intoxication. Either one is a viable alternative for this movie. <laughs> uh, yeah. um, well, I think – I think we've tapped well. Any uh, last uh, uh, parting comments on this, or have we pretty much summed it up? I can't even think of any technology I want from it, because really, no, I don't want an oscillation over thruster. I don't want to drive through a mountain. You don't want chaps? Nah, I already have <laughs> well, chaps, but I not want that like cool those. red uh, double-breasted shirt. There you go. Wow, some I don't know. Uh, Buckaroo Bonds, I had a certain fashion taste that mm, uh, I don't know if I could pull it off, but some of his stuff yeah, right was up a little interesting. John Travolta. Well, remember, it was the 80s. There I get was, it. Yeah, well, like I say, I think some you know, uh, mind altering substances were used in the making of this movie, not just to watch it. So, you know, um, things that that was a thing at one time or another. So, mm-hmm. okay. Well, I would say that pretty much wraps up this episode of Sci-Fi Tech Talk. You can check us out at scifitechtalk.com where there's some cool space junk available for purchase. Or follow us on Twitter at Sci-Fi Tech Talk. If you have any ideas or comments, please send them uh, to sci Talk at gmail.com. And reviews on iTunes are always welcome. Julie, where can people find you? I can be found on Twitter at Julie Keel, J-U-L-I-E. K-U-E-H-L and links to the other blogs, podcasts, and whatever else I've got going on can be found at about.me slash Julie Keel. And Jeff, where can people find you? Uh, people can follow me on Twitter at Broncosire. That's S-Y-E-R. And I can be found on uh, Twitter uh, at DSC Chipman or I have my about.me page at about.me slash Mike McPeak. That's M-C-P-E-E-K. That's it for this show, and we'll see you in the future. It's the sci-fi text.